Red Bull once again victorious at Monte Carlo, but this time it was Sergio Perez who gets the victory in a race remembered for that, as well as the disaster for Ferrari, who had a one-two front row lockout, but only one driver on the podium. It's the Overtake F1 podcast. I'm Tony Desiri. We're going to review the Monaco Grand Prix and all of the strategic elements that went into Red Bull getting Checo Perez on top, plus what went wrong for Ferrari. We will go over all of the teams and their day in Monte Carlo. We'll also take a look at where we stand after round seven of the Formula One season. And is Perez actually a title contender? We'll explore that as well on this podcast. Now, as far as Monaco Grand Prix go, this was rather eventful. Normally, these races can get kind of boring. You know, you hear it every year, how it's hard to pass and all of that. But this one had enough elements to make it pretty memorable, especially when you put it in some context that the Monaco curse for Charles Leclerc may actually be real. He should have won this hometown race rather easily. Saturday, Leclerc had put his Ferrari on the front row. It was a Q3 that was cut short after Sergio Perez spun out of Portier and brought out a red flag. That was an end to anyone's actual attempt to top the 111.37 that Leclerc had posted earlier. With Carlos Sainz behind him on the starting grid, it looked pretty good that he was going to win this race. The one he grew up dreaming about, the one that sort of eluded him over the previous occasions, you know, the ones where he didn't even finish the race. Last year, he didn't even get to start with a busted gearbox after earning pole position. But rain had come Sunday morning, and the race was delayed both by weather, and then there was a power outage, and everyone had to start on wet tires. But the rain was letting up, and this became a critical decision for the teams. Do you come in for intermediates, or do you wait it out, get slicks when the track starts to dry out? Now, some teams did that early. Pierre Gasly, Lance Stroll, they changed over to intermediates, while Leclerc started to distance himself from Carlos Sainz at first. Eight laps in, Leclerc's lead was over three seconds. It was nearly five seconds, 11 laps into the Grand Prix. So Leclerc's building himself a nice cushion, controlling this race. He had his teammate behind him, so Ferrari had everything that you needed to win at Monte Carlo. A car on the pole, pulling away from the field, a teammate behind him to protect against any undercut, and a circuit, of course, where it's really, really, really difficult to overtake. So meanwhile, Gasly, he's on the intermediate tires and he starts flying through the field. Now that's key because it starts getting the teams thinking about when to come in to get off the wet tires. And he's about five seconds faster on those intermediates than the ones that were on wet. So Carlos signs radios in and says he wants to stay out. He wants to push a little bit on the wet tires until it's time for slicks. The team wants Leclerc to come in to take intermediate tires. But when would they do that? Red Bull has Perez come in on lap 17 and he gets intermediates. They leave Verstappen, who was in fourth, on the wet tires. Perez comes out, he's in fifth. He's behind Lando Norris and just ahead of George Russell. Norris comes into pit. Perez is now fourth with Leclerc, Sainz, and Verstappen all ahead of him on wet tires. And he's on the much faster intermediates. Leclerc then comes in on lap 19 and gets back on the track behind both Sainz and Perez, which was fine at the time because Sainz had not pitted yet, and Perez and Leclerc were going to have to come in at, for slicks at some point. Verstappen came in on the same lap as Leclerc. He emerged fourth. Ferrari reacted rather quickly to Perez getting enters, but they still had a chance to get the lead back on pace if they could come in for slicks and get out ahead of him. So the leader of the race is Carlos Sainz, and he's on wet tires, and he's holding out as long as he could till he can get a set of dries. 
Russell and Alonzo, who were both behind in the top four, were having a great battle, but both were also on wet tires, as was um, Esteban Ocon. He was running eighth. Valtteri Botas was in tenth. Everybody else in the top ten at that point were on intermediates. Alex Albon and Mick Schumacher were out on the track on hard tires as the track was starting to dry out rather rapidly. Lap 22, this is where the race was lost for Ferrari for, for both of their drivers. Signs comes in for slicks, but they also radio in Leclerc. Now, this is a mistake. As soon as they told him to box, they tell him to stay out. And he's already committed to coming in, and he was furious. The double stack caused Leclerc to come out fourth. That's race over. Signs comes out, and this is the key. He comes out behind Nicholas Latifi. And he has to be behind Nicholas Latifi because he, he can't get a good outlap now because he's behind a slower car. Nicholas Latifi gets a blue flag. He's trying to get him through, but there's no real place to let him pass. They go around the hairpin, down to Portier, just before the tunnel. That's where Nicholas Latifi can kind of pull off a little bit and let Signs through. But already, the damage is done. The damage is done. Signs needs a good outlap coming out of the pits, and he's behind a slow Williams. Leclerc's race, of course, is over at this point. He's not going to overtake three drivers and win Monaco. His only hope was to get by maybe Verstappen at some point in the Grand Prix and get a podium. Now, he has every reason to be angry on this. The team was not set on a proper tire strategy to protect what Leclerc had, the lead of the race. They put him in a position not only to lose the lead, but they put him in fourth with a series of errors, including the horrible radio call to pit when Sainz was also coming in. You could make the argument that they reacted too quickly on the Perez pit and should have left him out, getting and staying out the same strategy that Carlos Sainz wanted. Lap 27, though, alters the race a bit, and that's when Mick Schumacher crashes really, really hard. That's enough to split the car in two. By the way, a Haas car in two pieces is just not the image I'm ready to see again. This brings out the red flag, and then, of course, the countdown clock. The Grand Prix is scheduled to go for 77 laps, but the race was close to its two-hour window, so instead of a lap counter, it, we had a countdown clock. That was the time Signs had to find a way around Sergio Perez for the victory. And Charles Leclerc, if he wants to get on the podium, he has to pass Max Verstappen at some point. He'd also grab a, a, a place up on the podium. Red Bull decides to change over to the medium tires. Ferrari stays with the hard compounds. This creates a very interesting situation if the medium tires are starting to degrade at a point where Ferrari could then take back some track position. However, and, and I think everybody see, knows this, if there's one driver you do not want to see ahead of you protecting degrading tires, it's Sergio Perez. He just knows how to make these things last like nobody else. But Sainz comes close. He had some opportunities at the chicane, but it was just not enough to make anything stick. The top six, six cars were 30 seconds ahead of the rest of the field. If you watch the tracker like I did, you saw six cars bunched on one side of the circuit. Everybody else is on the other side of the circuit. And, and that's how they finishes. Perez gets the third win of his career. Sainz finishes second in Monte Carlo for the second straight year. Verstappen, that's a nice third place finish given where he started. And Leclerc had a day he probably wish he could do all over again or at least forget. After the race, Ferrari did lodge a pro test saying both Verstappen and Perez had breached the line on the pit exit at lap 23. However, the FIA upheld the win for Perez and the third place finish for Max. Verstappen now leads the world championship by nine points over Leclerc and Sergio Perez is now 30, 15 points behind Max Verstappen for the world championship. 
All right, so let's unpack this a little bit for Ferrari from the perspective of how memorable this race is going to be. And I think it's got some memorable moments that I think are going to last a few years. I think a lot of it has to do with Leclerc. I think Leclerc eventually is going to win this Grand Prix. He's too good at it. He's starting at the top. One day, everything's going to go right. He's going to be on pole position. He's not going to give up the lead. Everything's going to go right. One day, he's going to win this Grand Prix. He's 24 years old. He's going to win this race at some point in his career. But the reality is, this should have been the year. This should have been the one. He had everything. As I said earlier, the pole, hard to overtake, teammate behind him, flying, giving himself a cushion. Why wouldn't he win? Well, he doesn't win because, again, Ferrari wasn't set on exactly how they were going to strategically do pit stops. What were they going to do? Wets to inners to slicks, wet to slicks. When do you bring him in? And Perez, to his credit, took advantage of a good outlap after he got the first set of intermediate tires. He's flying around that circuit, and that creates a problem for Ferrari because, again, at Monaco, you could get, like like Carlos Sainz did, you could end up getting stuck in a situation where you're not making up the ground properly that you need to. It's not as simple as just moving over to the side to let a car through. You have to wait for the right moment to do that on that particular circuit. And in the time it takes you to get that moment, you could lose a significant amount of time. And that's what happened to Ferrari. Charles Leclerc should be livid at this team. And, and again, look, not livid enough to let it carry over to Baku in two weeks, but livid enough to say, we can't do this. And he said that on the radio. We can't do this. It's a long season. I think you want to be careful if you're Leclerc. He obviously wants to win his hometown race, obviously, but you don't want to put it in the context that it's more important to him to win there than any other place. I think Leclerc should approach it as, hey, if this was Barcelona, I'd be upset. If this was Baku, I'd be upset. If this was Silverstone, I'd be upset. We have got to get our strategies down. We have got to know exactly how we're going to protect leads that we get. How do we go about reacting to others reacting to us? And I don't think Ferrari did a good job with this. And credit to Carlos Sainz. He's... He, Carlos Sainz should have won this Grand Prix. If he is just out a split second ahead of Nicholas Latifi, he wins this Grand Prix. I think circumstances just caught him and gave him some bad luck. That's racing. That's what happens. But if he gets out ahead of Nicholas Latifi, I think he wins this Grand Prix. All right, let's get to our team report where we go over all 10 teams and give you kind of their day in Monte Carlo. And let's start with the winners. And let's start with Red Bull. Did they win this or did Ferrari lose this? Christian Horner was asked that very question. He said it was a little bit of both. It's an amazing result for a team to get a win in a P3 starting behind both Ferraris. That is an incredible win. That is more than you could ask for at, at Monaco. As for Perez, it's obviously a great weekend. He followed team orders at Barcelona a week ago, a race I think he could have won. I think a lot of people think he could have won. If he was racing anybody else at Barcelona other than his teammate, I think he would have held on. 17 laps to go. Opposition behind him had sort of a flickering in and out DRS system. He knows how to take old tires to the end. I think if it was George Russell, if it was Lando Norris, if it was anybody else behind him, I think he would have held on. He defends really well, but he followed team orders. He let Max, who was quicker, pass him, and Max gets the victory. But then a week later, he's standing on top of the podium in one of the crown jewel events of the world. Red Bull has now won three of the last four Monte Carlo Grand Prix, and they've won the last four races on the calendar this season. They made the right call on the tires. They were able to take advantage of the mistakes that Ferrari made. And the outlaps by Perez, once he was on those intermediates early, allowed him to get the lead of this race. And once he did, he did not give it back. Verstappen didn't have the car. He's finding a balance issue, but he ends up on the podium and he's ending up ahead of Charles Leclerc and increases his points lead for Red Bull. This is the weekend that 
came out of nowhere and deserved every bit of accolades that are coming their way for this victory. Now, Ferrari, on the other hand, this is the one that gets away from you. Sometimes this happens to racing teams, but this one's going to be hard to look back on. You cannot overstate how poorly this race was handled. There is no good reason while Charles Leclerc did not win this race with the lead that he had and the teammate behind him. I've said it all podcast. The bright spot was signs. He made the right call on the tires, stayed out for slicks. If he wasn't behind Nicholas Latifi for like half the lap that he was on that outlap. I think he would have gotten ahead of Perez and won the race. Mattia Bonato said it best. And I think this is a great quote. He said, when you start with two cars on the front row and don't win, something went wrong. It's simple, but it explains everything. Something went wrong. This is a terrible weekend for Ferrari. How about Mercedes? It's another top five finish for George Russell. Again, stop me if you've heard this before, but he's finished in the top five in all seven races this season. He was able to undercut Lando Norris for fifth. He stayed there. Lewis Hamilton finished eighth on a frustrating day. He seemed to always be behind an Alpine, right? Whether it was Esteban Ocon early or Fernando Alonso late. Uh, it was a day that reminded us how important track position was at Monaco. Cause I said earlier, like there was one group that was way ahead and there was another group that was way behind kind of following along in a very slow train. All right, let's get to McLaren. Lando Norris finishing six behind Russell after he lost that position, but it is a top 10 finish for Norris, who was coming off a good run at Barcelona, where remember he had tonsillitis, had that high fever, missed engineering meetings, and he does get the extra point for the fastest lap after he took a late pit stop. As for teammate Daniel Ricciardo, uh, a mess. P13, qualified poorly on Saturday, 14th. And the team is ho was was hoping at the during the race there would be some opportunities that would present itself for him to move up, but they just didn't happen. And once again, the difference between these two drivers is enormous. You're starting to see it now. They're now getting more and more publicly frustrated with Daniel Ricciardo. Ricciardo said, yeah, I got a thick skin. Yeah, well, when a driver has to say he's got a thick skin because of criticism coming from his own, own team, you know that house isn't quite in order as it should be. There's going to be some options on the table for McLaren. Daniel Ricciardo, how many times do they have to say Daniel Ricciardo is still getting used to this? Daniel Ricciardo is still getting used to that. Eventually, you got to get used to it. He's not. And that's kind of, it's troubling, really, really troubling. This is getting to be a lost season for this team. They need both drivers in the points. They're that kind of team, and they're not getting it from Daniel Ricciardo. And they're getting it from Lando Norris, who puts the car in the points, even when he's really sick. Alpine, Esteban Ocon finishes P12. He got a five-second penalty for contacting Lewis Hamilton, but there was not enough room in the traffic to make up that gap, so he dropped out of the points. He thought it was a racing incident, but they all say that. Said it was an overtaking attempt at Monaco. It's going to draw some contact. That didn't fly. Fernando Alonso finishes P7, but he was the lead car at the pack that was way behind, as I was talking about earlier, he was the lead car of that and behind the pace of the top six. So again, six cars way ahead, Fernando Alonso leading a pack way, way, way behind him. Now this did prevent Esteban Ocon from making up those five seconds on the penalty. So that really hurt the team in that regard. Alfa Romeo, nothing much to write about here. Valtteri Bottas finishes P9. He moves up three spots from his P12 starting position. Zhou Guan Yu finishing 16th. Uh, he did have a great save of the car, and when he had a nice little battle with Yuki Tsunoda, that was really pretty. That was that was a good, good save. Alfa Tari, Pierre Gasly, 
really was the early key to this race. He went to intermediate tires and kind of was the pace setter because he really made those work. And he had a very, very nice overtake of Daniel Ricardo at a place on the track right after to back where you don't overtake. And he really kind of set the pace and people were watching that saying, all right, inters really are working again, a good five seconds better than the wet tires at that particular moment. He went from P 17 to 11th. So overall a good day, even if it didn't provide any points, they made a very good early call. They really didn't have a lot to lose. Yuki Tsunoda, that's a frustrating day for him. P17, medium tire strategy on the restart really didn't work out for him. Haas, whoa, what a terrible day for Haas. Kevin Magnuson had to retire early due to a power unit issue, and then Mick Schumacher crashed his car that split in two that resulted in the red flag. Gunther Steiner is clearly, clearly frustrated with Schumacher. He had another huge crash in Saudi Arabia that cost the team a ton of money. This one is going to have a hefty price tag as well. A team that's financially strapped as Haas, they can't afford to have these kind of expenses. And it was their first double DNF of the season. Pay attention to this one in the offseason. I, I don't know how long Mick Schumacher's got with this team if this continues. Remember, they started off really strong. They were, they were one of the top midfield teams early in the season, and I know that they still have very good pace in that car. I know if you're Steiner, you got to start evaluating where you want this team to be going because Kevin Magnuson at times has done really well. At times they've struggled, but he's at least providing some points. Mick Schumacher has yet to get a career point in Formula One. Williams. I guess the most standout thing was Nicholas Latifi. He did get ahead of Carlos Sainz, held him up just enough for about half a lap or so, again, letting him pass at Portier to prevent Sainz from having a great outlap, and he ended up behind uh, Sergio Perez. Oh, and Latifi did run into the barrier during the first safety car lap, That's and, getting, and got a new front wing. Alex Albon tried to play the long game on the wet tires, but he suffered a puncture early. They retired the car later in the race due to some bouncing issues on the straights. All right, finally, Aston Martin, Lance Stroll pitted early after some contact with the barrier during the pre-start safety car lap and then went into intermediate tires. He finished P14. Sebastian Vettel, he finished P10. He earned a point for Aston Martin, getting the getting the point after Ocon had dropped down due to his five-second penalty, and he said it was about the best that they were going to do. All right, so last week we talked about whether or not Monte Carlo is kind of outdated for modern Formula One, and I think this weekend is starting to show that it kind of is. Now, I argued in the previous podcast that I still think there's a place on the calendar for Monte Carlo, that I would hate to see a calendar that where this didn't exist. I know it's not the best racing, and I know people don't really look forward to it like they did before, but it's it for me, it may just be too old school. I, I just can't imagine a Formula One calendar that doesn't have it, but... Clearly, if you're going to move forward, these are the races where you don't want to lose potential audience, audience that doesn't understand sort of the rich history of Monte Carlo. But I also see a generation that is coming up and I saw it a lot on social media. I just don't think that Monte Carlo has the same aesthetic appeal as it's done for previous generations. You know, Formula One has always been attracted to sort of the glitz and the glamour of a place like Monte Carlo. But I think there's a new generation of fans coming up that don't want to see that, that don't really care about it. So what if you're racing by a casino? So what if you're racing by yachts? You know what? If you want to do that at Abu Dhabi, fantastic. If you want to do that at a fake harbor in Miami, fantastic. But the far as the image of Monte Carlo and Formula One, I don't think they care. 
care. I think they want a better race and they want racing where there is actually going to be a chance for some maneuvering on the track. It is frustrating because every single year there is, you hear drivers talk about it where they go, well, you know, we tried to get something, but you know, it's really hard to pass here. So we couldn't do anything. And that becomes old after a while. And again, if you're looking to new fans and this is your crown jewel, it is very hard to point to this race and go, if you want formula one, there's the best race we have on the calendar. Cause it's not the best race they have on the calendar. It's probably the most famous race they have on the calendar, but it's not the best race by a mile. It's not the best race. And think about this. If you're Stefano Domenicali and you've got racing promoters that want formula one in their city, in their country, wherever, and they're paying big bucks to do so. Why would you mess with a race? Why would you mess with, with the Grand Prix other than the historical nature of it? Why would you mess with the Grand Prix that actually damage your brand? Look, modern formula one, just cannot race this circuit. That's just, it's just it. It can't race on this circuit. It's not a, you know, the monarch, it's supposed to be a Grand Prix. It's not supposed to be a parade of cars. I mean, when they went to that countdown clock, it was about 30 minutes in the Grand Prix. And Carlos Sainz made what? One real attempt to overtake Sergio Perez for the, in 30 minutes. It was like one, maybe two, maybe two, but I'm not going to give you three. All right. You'd have to really convince me with video that there was three. And if there is, by the way, send it to me at Tony D radio on Twitter, but nevertheless one, that's really it. And where was it? Nouvelle chicane. That's the only place you can pass. And so they, they, you make a, make a little bit of a move and then you don't have it. And what do you got to do? You got to wait a whole lap to come back to the Nouvelle chicane to try again. There's no other places to do that. And don't get me wrong. There are plenty of circuits where it's, it's hard to overtake, but Monaco is the one place where it's virtually impossible. And I think that is a major drawback. All right, as far as this victory for Sergio Perez, this puts him 15 points behind Max Verstappen in the World Championship. And now there's been a conversation within the last 24 hours since the end of the Grand Prix about not Sergio Perez is a legitimate World Championship contender. Now, some will argue, no, right? As long as Max Verstappen is his teammate, he's not going to outrace Max Verstappen everywhere they go for the rest of the calendar. It's one thing to win in Monaco when Max is having a balance issue, but it's another to win in other places where Max has taken a car with a little bit of problems and turned it into a major win. But it is going to make team orders in the future rather interesting for Red Bull, and it's going to be really interesting from Sergio Perez's perspective. Now, he had signed a two-year extension on his contract, which is great for the team because they don't do that very well, right? Alex Albon, Danny Kvyat, Pierre Gasly all had a very, very short time in that car. I mean, they haven't had the kind of stability since Daniel Ricciardo and Max Verstappen. But it also means that Yuki Tsunoda and Pierre Gasly, drivers that are coming up, it's going to be a while before they can get into a major ride, especially for Gasly, who's looking to get back up to a major team after being demoted to AlphaTauri. Sonoda's got a few more years, but I think Gasly is looking to make a next step up. So this sort of puts a kibosh on that for a while, getting back to the top Red Bull team. But again, this adds a dynamic for Red Bull now. They've got two championship contenders. Now, albeit there's one A and one B, I mean, I don't, again, 15 points is not a lot of points, but it's just enough to wonder where they want to go when they get in a situation like Barcelona, where there's a team order to pass when Sergio Perez may feel like he could win a Grand Prix. He's not just a B driver on this team helping Max Verstappen win a world championship. 
15 points down after seven rounds is not a huge deficit, right? I mean, look, a DNF by Verstappen, a good run by Perez, and he could be on top of Verstappen in the world championship. He could take the lead of the world championship in a couple of races, depending on circumstances. And I know it's a big if, but don't get me wrong. Now Red Bull has got two world championship contenders to deal with, and it's not going to be as easy as saying, step aside for Max Verstappen, please. Sergio Perez wanted to talk to the team after Barcelona. He has been an absolutely great teammate for Max Verstappen since joining Red Bull after his departure from Racing Point. Absolutely great. But now is his time. He is in Formula One to win world championships. He is not in Formula One to try to help others win world championships. And now he knows he's got a good handle on the car. He's on a top team that can win Grand Prix. He was in a position to win a Grand Prix. He actually has won a Grand Prix, two of them to be exact, since joining Red Bull. He defends well. He runs his tires well. He's a quick driver. He's on a top team that is going to be competitive. So watch this down the road because there's always going to be a teammate dynamic when two Two drivers are outstanding. And Red Bull right now has two drivers capable of winning the world championship. All right, so that's our review of the Monaco Grand Prix. A reminder, subscribe to the podcast. If you like what we're doing, leave us a five-star review. I'm an American sports talk show host trying to bring you the world of Formula One in whatever capacity that I can. So I do greatly appreciate the support that has been shown this podcast over two seasons. One quick programming note, I will have a preview of the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. I may not be able to get to a review of the Azerbaijan Grand Prix. I'm kind of in and out working on a project, and so I'm going to try to get to my studio, but I may not. But I definitely will have a review of the Canadian Grand Prix. This is just a weird part of the schedule for me. So thank you for listening. This is Tony Desiri and this is the Overtake F1 Podcast.